everybody. This is Spur of the Moment from Lasso Digital. Hey there, I'm Annika Pelkey from Lasso Digital. On today's episode of Spur of the Moment, I'll be talking to Lasso's director of fundraising strategy, Chase Wisenhunt. Chase has led fundraising efforts for a variety of nonprofit organizations for more than a decade. When he's not working, he can be found glass blowing, spoiling his dog Kai, and riding his motorcycle through the Rocky Mountains. We sat down to discuss his role at Lasso and any advice he had for nonprofits. Great. Uh, so my name is Chase Wissenhunt. I am the director of fundraising strategy with Lasso, and a big part of my job is helping nonprofits achieve their mission through raising more funds, uh, refining and strengthening revenue opportunities, and just overall helping their fundraising efforts in the community. I guess we have added fundraising pretty recently. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to speak to that a little bit? How it's rounding out our services? Sure. Sure. So. For the longest time, uh, Lasso really focused on marketing and communications for nonprofits, uh, being their voice uh, when they needed it the most. And and what we found um, that went hand in hand with the marketing and communication needs were the needs to help uh, fundraising and development efforts. And so Lasso decided to add the fundraising arm to the organization. And I had worked with Taylor, our uh, managing director previously. Um, and so she reached out to me and asked if I wanted to help get you know, the whole side of, of the fundraising uh, facet uh, kind of up and running. And I was super excited to, to do that. And it's just been an amazing learning experience so far. It's, um, I've been uh, in development now for a long time uh, on the nonprofit side, and so this was the first time on the agency side. And so building this from scratch, um, developing resources, timelines, scopes, pricing structures was a whole new beast for me. And so it's been a really interesting learning curve and just really exciting to break into this new new field. Well, I was really excited to have you on the podcast because even though we've been working together for a while, I feel like I still have so much more to learn about you. Um, it sounds like you've had a pretty interesting career, like uh, touching in many different fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you mind giving like a quick overview of what that's looked like? Yeah, absolutely. It has been a pretty interesting career path uh, <laughs> over the years. So I started uh, in nonprofit development about 14 years ago um, and really started focusing on grant writing. I started helping small nonprofits, small local governments, rural health practices, and first responder agencies uh, with some grant writing and just really loved it, really loved being able to help. And so I kind of carved out a a niche there in development and really focused on grant writing. And like I said, I've worked with fire departments, uh, some small faith-based organizations, rural health practices, and started to move into more formal full-time roles, whether that was with um, a Smart Start Early Childhood nonprofit, emergency management and EMS services. Uh, that was a specifically a nonprofit. Moving into most recently here in Colorado, I was the director of development for the Epilepsy Foundation of Colorado, and then moved to an organization called the Blue Bench. And I was doing their development work, helping raise funds for sexual assault survivors and prevention education here in the community. 
So I've had just the pleasure um, of being able to work with a variety of nonprofits uh, who have uh, very diverse uh, missions and populations that they serve. And I've really enjoyed trying a bunch of new things and, and working um, for the variety of organizations that I've had just to get new, fresh experiences. It's been, been quite a ride and really looking forward to seeing where it takes me from here. Sweet. Um, I guess the nonprofit sector is kind of known for being somewhat challenging to work in. Um, I'd love to hear what's keeping you coming back to it, staying in this world. Yeah, you know, you're right. Working in the nonprofit world definitely presents unique challenges uh, for both the individual employee, but also the organization as a whole, staffing uh, and organization culture. I think a lot of people get in this line of work to do good things and to help vulnerable folks and uh, really make a difference in their communities and quickly realize um, the concept of doing more with less and having very tight budgets, having a lot of stakeholders' opinions and and gatekeepers and and roadblocks and making decisions and trying new things. Um, And, you know, we're not going to get into the nonprofit industrial complex uh, discussion today but it really is um, sometimes a challenging environment to be expected to constantly go above and beyond for your communities while um, working for usually less than industry standard pay. Um, And so being able to support nonprofit staff, being able to increase the revenue so that employees can really benefit from increased benefits and salaries that really match cost of living um, is really exciting for me. Uh, That's really on the internal side, being able to give uh, nonprofits more tools to increase their capacity and their ability to provide their services and resources in the community. But externally, knowing that I'm making a difference through fundraising, um, I am not a direct service provider. I uh, have my own boundary issues. I want to give the shirt off my back and let people move in with me and <laughs> and give people my car and things like that. And so I, I learned quickly that the way that I can help these communities and nonprofits the most is raising money. I like to pretend I'm Robin Hood out there and um, and and really help provide these folks with the resources they need to to accomplish their mission. So the nonprofit work for me is really just being able to participate in something much bigger than myself. Um, I think I'm an inherently selfish person, just like most folks are, and and doing things like this helps uh, balance that out and give back a little bit, um, especially to communities that have given me so much. So that's kind of why I come back to the nonprofit world. Uh, On top of that, you meet the best folks. These are the most kind, compassionate um, individuals who are just passionate about the work that they do and the communities that they serve. And being able to see that passion, um, it's hard to come by in other industries. People don't come to work with the same excitement and fire and enthusiasm to do the work that they do, like we see in the nonprofit world. So I think that's why I keep coming back. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I guess you kind of touched on the difficulty of boundaries in the nonprofit world. Um, it also seems like mental health is something that really uh, has been a struggle for many people in this sector. Do you have any like tips for people to maintain their mental health when doing this hard work? Absolutely. Mental health is, and, and taking care of your mental health is, is really important. And in my experience in nonprofits, we see a lot of burnout um, really quickly. Uh, that really leads to a lot of attrition and turnover in nonprofits, and that really makes it difficult to have a, a sustainable and, and consistent uh, level of programming and, and just the way that they operate. You know, taking care of yourself is really important. I think all too often folks in the nonprofit world burn out quickly because they want to do everything they can for the community. So they stay late, they come early, they work weekends, they volunteer their time, and it quickly becomes apparent that you're not taking care of yourself. So self-care is really important, I think, especially at Lasso. Um, I love that we take mental health really seriously and we put it at the forefront because we know uh, happy and healthy staff uh, mean and translate into much higher levels of success uh, and just overall um, satisfaction with their job. And so self-care is really important. Um, doing the little things that make you feel good on a day-to-day -day basis are really important. I find that routines are really helpful for me in my self-care, whether that's um, you know taking a shower and winding down the same time at night. Uh, you know, we joked on the on the way in when we were setting volume levels about what I had for breakfast, and it was two hard-boiled eggs and uh, an English muffin, and I eat that a lot of the time. And you know, my partner makes fun of me. Uh, because of my old man breakfast, but it's that consistency and routine that, that gives me peace of mind and helps with some of my anxieties and my stress. And I think everybody has their own self-care routines or, or habits. So I think really paying attention to your body and paying attention to how you're feeling um, and really taking inventory of that is really important. Um, I have the luxury of living in one of the most beautiful places uh, in the world. And so getting outside and, and spending time in nature is something that's been really helpful for me to maintain mental health and help with some of that burnout. And then something as simple as, uh, like I said with Lasso, we really take uh, mental health um, seriously and, and really put it on a pedestal um, of importance. And so I think putting things like uh, blatantly naming therapy appointments on my public work calendar is really important. I think mental health is not, it shouldn't be a secret, it shouldn't be taboo. I'm glad that society as a whole is making it, um, you know, a, a little less uh, taboo and weird to talk about and really embracing um, the importance of it. So just putting it plain and simple on my calendar, I think, and really owning it um, has helped me too. And what it did was I identified several other people on staff who um, have similar mental health struggles as I do, and, and they put therapy on their calendar just like I do. And so it, it not only empowers me uh, to, to 
make sure I'm taking care of my mental health because it's not a secret. It's not something you do behind closed doors. It's also built a sense of camaraderie and community here at Lasso, knowing that I'm not alone and that um, many of us are are struggling with mental health. I mean, just in general, but especially after the last few years, right? Um, but just knowing that I've got that community and that support has, has really made a big difference for me. So I think just to recap, uh, self-care routines, um, being aware of your body and really taking inventory about how you're feeling, um, and then finding support in, in your circles with your people, and that's putting um, things like therapy or uh, medication or other therapies uh, front and center to find that community. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely have noticed that since you have joined the team, it feels like a lot more people are more open about that kind of stuff. And I personally really appreciate your calendar when it comes to that. So, oh, good. Um, yeah, I guess uh, my next question would be, how have you seen this transition in your career from being strictly in the nonprofit world to doing the more agency side of work? Sure. It's been a very interesting transition, and, and I'd even have to go a little bit further back. I feel like I've kind of come full circle. So I started my career uh, after grad school um, working for an emergency management department for a local government along the North Carolina coast, writing emergency operability plans, uh, evacuation planning, um, and all things emergency management. I did a little bit of grant writing on the side, um, and that's where I really came into my love for grant writing and uh, learned very quickly I'm not a hero that runs into the disaster, and so I think standing uh, standing back and doing my thing on grant writing is really where I found my niche. And um, so I quickly got out of the uh, municipal. It's not exactly for profit, but it's not also not not for profit either. Um, and really jumped into the nonprofit world and, and was there for 14 years and really um, got used to that setting and got used to the way things were in those settings. And coming into an agency like this has been really eye-opening uh, in a lot of different ways. I was really worried that I would lose that sense of community, the feel-goods of giving back. Um, but I, I quickly learned that I was able to help many different communities instead of just one. And that really satisfied uh, my intrinsic need for more than just a paycheck, uh, which I was really worried about losing. Um, those feel goods and, and seeing the impact that I can make in a community and um, I, it's just been so refreshing to be able to work with a dozen different communities and a dozen different projects and um, it's really been nice to kind of refresh my look on development now from the outside in instead of being uh, in the weeds and you know the constant pressure and anxiety of a budget looming over me and having to meet that budget each year for a nonprofit to be sure that not only can we keep providing services for the community but can we pay our folks who are doing this good work and so being able to get out from underneath that pressure and helping nonprofits uh, address it kind of from the outside has been really 
really enlightening for me, and it's been a really fun transition. So I've, I've been really pleased, and I'm glad my, my fears were really uh, put to rest pretty quickly. Um, so that's been a little bit about my transition. I, I, I always want to be connected to the nonprofit world in some way, and uh, this has just been a really good um, way to do that and compromise what I'm looking for um, in a position with my need to, to give back and to do more. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess something that we as an organization have been very impressed by uh, with you coming on is your business development. You are so good at bringing on new clients. Um, I'd love to hear a bit how you do that. Uh, Yeah, that kind of work. Sure. You know, it's just meeting people where they're at, I think, has really provided the success that I've seen in development. That's both asking for funding on the nonprofit side, but then also identifying the needs of nonprofits. It's being an active listener. Listening um, has given me so much insight to the world around me and the people that I'm interacting with. And so being a good active listener has really given me that success in business development because I'm able to, to hear what the needs of the nonprofit are both blatantly stated, but really being able to read between the lines and identify what those needs are uh, beyond what the, you know, the, the client or the company or the person I'm chatting with may think that their needs are. Um, and so being that active listener and really knowing my audience, um, one thing that I like to do when I'm chatting with other development folks or communication um, focused individuals, um, and it's something I like to do uh, when I'm hiring people in the interview process is to ask people to close their eyes and describe the color yellow to someone who's never had sight before. And first of all, it's really fun to kind of watch people sweat uh, when I first ask (laughs) that, but very quickly, I think people understand the, the point of the exercise is to step outside of our normal communication methods of how we're used to talking and disseminating information and really thinking about who our audience is and communicating in a way to where they get the message accurately and in a language that they understand. And so when people start to try to describe the color yellow to me, um, they're really frustrated at first because they want to describe it visually. Um, And so when you're able to fall back and think of, well, I can describe the color yellow with uh, the way that it feels or comparing it to a certain smell or a sound and really focusing on the other senses of that person um, means that you're able to communicate that much more effectively and you can ensure that your audience really understands what you're saying. And so I think that really helps me on the business development side because I really take the time to learn who my audience is, what their lived experiences have been, um, and really ensure that the way that I communicate with them and my messaging um, aligns with where they're at and right-sizing both the conversation but what I would offer them uh, as a client. So knowing who I'm talking to, being a good listener, and right-sizing the work that we're doing for them I think has really uh, given me that success that that you talk about. Also, I work with an amazing team. It's it's so easy to um, impress people 
people uh, just by showing them the teammates that I have and, and working with you, for example. I think people see um, your professionalism and what you bring to the table. And so um, you, it, instilling confidence in those potential clients is so easy when I get to work with, with the amazing team that I get to. Thank you. <laughs> um, I might steal your question. How would you describe the color yellow? Okay, all right, so I'm gonna close my eyes. <laughs> I would describe the color yellow as uh, the feeling uh, of the sun shining on your face. Uh, the color yellow looks like what um, biting into a tart lemon would taste like. Um, it's the feeling of, of happiness and warmth is how I would describe the color yellow to someone uh, without sight. So those are my go-to answers, but I've heard a lot I of fun it. ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That, that really put it in my head. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I guess back to uh, your role as the fundraising director here at Lasso. Mm -hmm. um, how would you say your background and career uh, makes you such a great fundraising director. Yeah, you know, I think my, again, with lived experience, I think my experience of, of being in the nonprofit trenches and working with a deficit budget and knowing the internal workings of uh, the bureaucracy and red tape in nonprofits and working with the board and, and working with a lot of different stakeholders who have a lot of different opinions with a bare bones budget and a lot of uh, public visibility about the actions um, that, that a nonprofit takes. So I think working from the inside on the nonprofit world has really given me um, the skills that I need to ensure that I'm doing what's best for them um, and really helping them um, achieve their missions, knowing what their limitations are, knowing what their constraints are, where the gatekeepers are and the roadblocks um, to achieve those missions and knowing them firsthand. Um, I can help address those, I can help work around them, and I can help come up with creative ways to um, to, to still achieve a goal um, while working in the really uh, unique nuances of the nonprofit world. So I think just my 14 years of working in fundraising and asking for money both to individuals or uh, foundations really helps me guide uh, nonprofits in, in refining and strengthening and building um, their existing development efforts and coming up with some new ideas that maybe they hadn't tried before. So it's really that lived experience. I'm able to bring it in and and build the confidence with the client and, and ensure that I'm working uh, in the different avenues and, and within the certain parameters and boundaries that they have to every day. So I think that's really helped me. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I know I was like so excited when they mentioned that they were bringing fundraising into Lasso, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you were too mm -hmm. when you uh, were in the job interview. What, how would you say that marketing and fundraising are intertwined and are both kind of necessary for us to be providing? You know, absolutely. Marketing, communications, and fundraising really go hand in hand. Um, the, the marketing and the communications of a nonprofit, it, it's really the, the voice of the nonprofit. It's, it's the visibility and the optics from the general public and the community to the nonprofit. And oftentimes that voice and that message includes an ask. It includes a call to action to that community. So 
integrating your fundraising efforts and thinking about development and keeping the, the development mindset while you're fleshing out your communication strategy, when you're fleshing out that editorial calendar throughout the year, um, really ensures a successful development plan because they shouldn't be siloed. They shouldn't be two separate departments that don't talk. Um, the voice of the nonprofit through the communications department really need to integrate both you know, f- firm and soft asks um, to donors, to the community. Um, so they really need to work cohesively together, um, A, to keep a consistent tone, to um, be the reliable and consistent voice that the community and donors have come to expect. Um, and really integrating the fundraising ask with the messaging because if you end up putting a you know two separate calendars together two separate communications calendar both on the you know marketing nonprofits uh, organization level and then on the development level you're going to create a lot of stakeholder fatigue a lot of donor fatigue people are going to start tuning you out so um, really being intentional and efficient with your messaging to include both um, the primary message and whether that's a fundraising ask or a, a programmatic update or a, a newsletter or an e-blaster blog, really integrating um, both direct and subconscious asks um, is really, really important to uh, ensure that you're getting some revenue in the door, but not creating that fatigue that we talked about. So. Um, Communications and fundraising really go hand in hand, and oftentimes when a nonprofit needs help with their communication strategy or with their marketing, um, fundraising goes right along with it. Yeah. Sweet. Um, and for those of our listeners interested in beefing up their fundraising skills at their nonprofit, what are some tips you would give them to get started? Sure. I think the last few years have been difficult for everybody in a lot of different ways. And I think development staff, fundraisers, um, it's its absolutely no different. It's, um, it's been a pretty scary environment seeing funding sources dry up, pivot um, in priority. Um, and it creates a lot of unknowns and a lot of instability out there um, for a fundraiser. And it's especially scary when um, a, a budget is really counting on um, a, a really effective uh, fundraising effort. So I think what I've learned over the last few years, and, and you know, I don't think things are going to change dramatically. I think we're going to keep seeing a lot of change in the fundraising environment for nonprofits. So some of the things that have kept uh, my head above water over the last few years would be really diversifying your revenue streams. I think uh, for many nonprofits relying on foundation help, uh, relying on government grants, whether that's state, local, or federal, um, have really been low-hanging fruits for nonprofits in the past. But what we're seeing is a lot of funding priorities are pivoting and shifting away from some of the you know, some of the priorities that they've had in the past and really focusing on uh, COVID or health and human service related efforts. And so um, I think diversifying your revenue streams is really important right now. I think going back and really building 
organic, substantial relationships with donors is extremely important right now. Both the individual $5 donor and you know the $50,000 major donor. I think really fostering and stewarding those relationships right now is extremely important for nonprofits. Um, so that's one tip I would give. Um, another tip I would give is to just ask. Um, I think a lot of the success I've seen uh, in fundraising is because I asked. Um, it, the answer will always be no unless you ask. And so I found um, that just just making the ask opens a lot of doors. Whether or not you leave uh, with that gift or that check from that meeting with that major donor, um, you'll still leave with something if you if you make that ask. And so not being afraid to do it and knowing that the people that you're chatting with believe in the work that you, that you do. They um, believe in your mission. They are a stakeholder. So making the ask shouldn't be as scary as it is for a lot of people. Nobody likes asking for things. Um, so just going in and doing it with confidence, you never know what you're going to find. And, and that's really what's got me to where I am today is just asking. Um, another fun tip that I've realized lately, and again, uh, these are with major donors or major foundations that are you're, you're making a big ask. What I found is that when you're chatting with, with some of these individuals and major donors, when you ask for money, you'll get advice. And when you ask for advice, they'll open up their, their checkbooks and their wallets. <laughs> so just kind of keep that in mind and and you know shoot for the moon. There's, there's no worse feeling from a fundraiser or a, a development staff member than making the ask and, and hearing a donor say yes before you could finish making the ask. You feel like you may have left some resources on the table. So shoot for the moon. Um, you've got nothing to lose a lot of the time. And more often than not, I've seen donors who are not offended by that and really appreciate uh, just the the gusto that you have coming into that meeting and knowing that you're making the ask for a vulnerable community, you're making the ask to make the world a better place, Um, it's not for yourself. And so I would keep those tips in mind right now um, as things have just been crazy in the fundraising world. I think sticking to um, some of those tips and just doing what you do best and and just really staying confident. You know, the donations are going to keep coming, the revenue is going to keep growing, and you're going to keep building um, your audience as you do it. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess before we finish up, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about Chase outside of work. Mm. (laughs) You know, I'm really excited about this new work-life balance because there wasn't much of a chase outside of work in the Mm -hmm. nonprofit world for a long time. So I'm really, really grateful to be able to enjoy that balance now. So Chase outside of work uh, loves riding motorcycles uh, with my partner. Um, I've got my my pup Kai and we like to get out and do a lot of hiking and experience nature, enjoy paddle boarding and kayaking. and just being outside in natural spaces and slowly chipping away at the never-ending list of, of local craft breweries here in Colorado uh, and checking those out. So um, that's a little bit about me outside of here. And um, yeah, I, I'm really excited about learning more about Chase Outside of Work as we, as we go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, 
one last question yeah. because I'm always interested in this. Could you speak to your glasswork a little bit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I forgot to mention that. Um, I, you know, my, my glass uh, equipment is a little dusty right now. It's been a little <laughs> while, but um, I've been a hobbyist glassblower for about six years now and um, really focus on a technique called lamp working and so that utilizes um, uh, a high temperature torch mounted to a bench and I'm manipulating uh, rods of glass. Uh, it's a little bit different than what most folks see as glass blowing and that's working on a, a large piece of glass in what's called a, a glory hole or a furnace. Um, this is, that's a show you see on Netflix is really, really that method. Um, so I use I, I really utilize a method called lamp working, um, which is a little more, it's a smaller work, so I'm really doing things like jewelry, marbles. Um, I've really enjoyed being able to help individuals memorialize uh, loved ones and pets through um, cremation work. So I'll actually be able to encase uh, remains in glass so folks can kind of uh, keep, keep those memories forever. So um, I've got a little studio at home. I've kind of built out in a shed and um, whenever I, I do some of that self-care or when I need some quiet time just to focus and you know turn my brain off, uh, glass blowing is, is really kind of where I turn. Um, it, it, it's a little bit different, but similar in some ways to the amazing stained glass work that you do, Annika. <laughs> it is it is meditative. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't expect it, but shattering things mm -hmm. and all of the chaos of it helps clear your mind so well. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really hard to let things creep into your mind when you're dealing with sharp broken glass or molten glass. And so it is nice to, to turn your brain off and really get back in touch with your body. It takes a lot of hand-eye coordination just like stained glass would. And so being able to turn off that analytical side of your brain and really focusing on the creative side and, 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 and really uh, working that side of your brain is, is really nice for me. And I'm sure it is for you. Yeah. Well, beautiful. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed chatting with you and learning a bit more about you. Me too. Thanks for having you. me on. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. All awesome. right. <laughs> moment is produced by Lasso Digital, a marketing and fundraising agency with the goal of helping nonprofits raise more funds, spread their vision, and achieve their mission. Our host is Annika Pelkey, our producer is Spencer Hu, and our music is by Sean Hess. To find more episodes of Spur of the Moment or to learn more about Lasso Digital, check out our website, lassodigital.co.